Open our hearts that we might receive your love. Open our minds that we might understand. And open our hands that we might serve you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Do you like riddles? Isn't it great to sort of figure out a riddle, especially the hard ones? So here's a simple one. If, I have, if there were five apples on a table and you took away three, how many apples would you have left? You'd have, you, sorry, I missed one. How many would you have? You'd have three because you took the three. Here's, a, <laughs> here's another one. As, maybe you've heard this one. As I was going to St. Ives, I met a man with seven wives. Each wife had seven sacks, each sack had seven cats, each cat had seven kits. Kits, cats, sacks, and wives. How many were there going to St. Ives? One. Because he was going to the, Maybe one. Because it didn't actually say this other entourage, were they coming from St. Ives or going to St. Ives? So maybe it was 2,802. So... <laughs> So Trinity Sunday, uh, the Trinity for many of us is sort of like what Winston Churchill said about Russia. It was a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. Hard to figure out. The Trinity is hard to understand, hard to comprehend. It seems almost like it was a malicious afterthought of Greek philosophers causing our heads to spin. Seems like something added on. Is it really important? to come to grips with the Trinity. You know, Trinity Sunday started with Thomas of Becket in the year 1162 when he was consecrated Archbishop of Canterbury on the Sunday after Pentecost and his first act was to proclaim that the, that the day of his consecration would be commemorated as a festival in honor of the Holy Trinity. And from that day it began to gain acceptance. It's true that the word Trinity does not occur in the Bible. But there are many passages, like in Romans today, that put the three persons of the Godhead together. Remember in Romans, the Spirit enables us to say Father so that we're joint heirs with Christ. There's many like that. But the Trinity is not an addendum or an add-on, but at the very heart of our understanding of God and of who we are. So I want to suggest three things that the Trinity engenders in us as followers of God. First of all, it it engenders humility. We will never figure out God. We will never completely comprehend the extent of his majesty, never grasp the wonders of his grace. We must try. We must apply our mind to correct doctrine, to truth, to sort it out, to be rational, to make sense of this world that we have been placed in by God. But we must avoid our arrogance and presumption to think that we could figure it out. Because we want to. If we could figure it out, maybe we could control it. Maybe we could be like Adam and Eve who wanted to be God, to eat of the fruit, to have the eyes open to be like God. In other words, to be their own God. But the Trinity reminds us that this is impossible. God is bigger than we are, thank goodness. God is beyond our ability to comprehend or control, yet he graciously deems to be in relationship to us, to include us, to reach out to us. 
Consider poor Nicodemus from our gospel reading this morning. He came to Jesus as a fellow teacher. He calls him Rabbi. We know you're a teacher. And Jesus turns it on his head and leaves him absolutely befuddled. You must be born again. In verse 10 he says, how can this be? And Jesus says, you're a teacher, don't you know? The early church, after Jesus was, went back to heaven, for the next two centuries, they tried to figure out who Jesus was. Was he God? Was he man? Was he both? If he was both, how did they fit together? And then in the third and fourth centuries, they really started to apply their minds to figuring out the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Are there three gods? No, there's one God. Well, if there's one God, how does he have three persons? And they used very specific Greek big long Greek uh, words that sometimes only were differentiated by one letter. Do you know that when we bless ourselves, when we make the sign of the cross, we combine those two initiatives. We combine the sense of making the sign of the cross to acknowledge Jesus dying on the cross. But while we do that, we often say the name of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, combining those two exercises. If we, the Trinity engenders within us a sense of humility, it is a great antidote to the chief of the deadly sins, which of course is pride. We want to control it. We want to be seen as able to do it on our own, but we can't. And we develop within us a sense of humility, a sense of trust, a sense of devotion to him, that we won't figure him out. We won't ever control him but we allow ourselves or seek to be controlled by him in his goodness. So I, th I think the Trinity reminds us of our need for humility. The second thing I think it engenders is a sense of community. The Trinity is a community of love. The Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Spirit, and the Spirit loves the Father. And into this swirling, delightful community of love, we are invited. One of the most famous icons uh, is the icon called the Trinity by Andrei Rublev. It was done in the 15th century and it resides in a museum in Moscow. It tells the story of the hospitality of Abraham. When in Genesis 18, three angels come to Abraham and Abraham sends Sarah to kill the fatted calf to make a feast. And the, the three angels have come to represent, or maybe intended to represent, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You might see that the figure on the left is meant to be God, and the two figures in the middle and the right have bowed their head towards him to acknowledge their devotion to the Father. They don't, uh, they're not, these angels aren't included in a circle, they form a circle into which we're invited to see the empty space at the table. And beyond, they're not eating at the table, so they go beyond the story of Abraham feeding the angels. They're discussing, they seem to gaze into eternity in this beautiful representation of God in his infinity. The cup in the middle is rep meant to represent the feast that Abraham prepared for the angels. But of course, it's a foreshadowing of the Eucharistic cup on our table as we gather around the table. Behind this angel on the left, which is, is God, the Father, uh, there's a house, Abraham's house, 
meant to represent the will of the Father, the will to love, the will to bless, the will to give. It's like his hand is placing the cup there. The middle angel is, represents Jesus Christ, his son, and behind him is, the, is a tree, probably in the Abraham story, the Oak of Mamre, but really then the cross on which Jesus will die for us, making it the tree of life. And next to him, of course, is the Holy Spirit, and behind the Holy Spirit is a mountain, probably Mount Moriah. And a few chapters later, Abraham will be asked to sacrifice his only son on that mountain. And so the Spirit represents the power to be devoted to God, to rise up in our devotion to Him. And so this beautiful icon is a reminder that the, the, uh, the Godhead is itself a community. Three persons that love each other, that support each other, that welcome us into the community. So that our community at St. Francis or any community in a parish following Jesus Christ, our community is grounded in the community of God. That our community is meant to reflect His community. We are meant to love one another in the same way that the Father loved the Son and the Son loved the Father. That's our grounding, that's our model, that's our calling to include, to be included in it. And so we, when we uh, express that community, we are expressing God himself. So just as we have a place at the table, so too we make place at our table to include others, to welcome them, to engage in them. When we remember that we individually are made in the image of God, I think it's an important distinction that C.S. Lewis brings out, that we're not made in the image of the Father, or in the image of the Son, or the image of the Spirit, but we're made in the image of the Trinity, God in community, God in three persons, made for community, made to be together, made to be with others. And as you know, in our prison system, the most harsh punishment is uh, solitary confinement, that we de uh, deny people that ability to communicate. And there's more and more studies that show the, the awful effects on young people in lockup who get put in solitary confinement. And so we are children of God, caught up into the love that is present in the Trinity, the Father's love for the Son, the Son for the Spirit, the Spirit for the Father. And finally, not only does the Trinity engender humility and a sense of community, but also a sense of mission. At the end of the story of Nicodemus, Jesus reminds him that God gave his son. God sent his son for us. That we too, uh, while we are inward looking here, God calls us to be outward looking uh, together and in community, but nevertheless in mission. It's kind of a wonderful thing that Memorial Day weekend and Trinity Sunday fall on the same day. Memorial Day weekend, we, we remember those who died when they went out on mission, when they went to serve us, when they went to protect us. They were going out to do an important task on our behalf. And so just as in wartime when our soldiers go out, so in peacetime, we who have been called to wage peace must step into the arena around us, must open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to those who need us and need, need God's love.
I'm sure you noticed in their Old Testament reading when the seraphim sit around and sing holy, holy, holy. It looks very kind of inward looking. They're saying it to each other. But at the end of the passage, God says, And whom shall I send? And who will go for me? And Isaiah says, Here am I. Send me. And so I think too, for us, followers of the Trinity, made in the image of the Trinity, must also say to him, Here am I. Where will you send me? Where will you send me this summer? Who will you bring into my path? It might be the most unassuming situation that God will call you to share his love, to be a support, to be generous and kind. On Trinity Sunday, let us remember that the centripetal force of the Trinity, which draws us into fellowship, also becomes a centrifugal force sending us out as in a great gust of wind to bring his blessing to the world around us. The Trinity insists on humility, invites us into community, and beckons us to mission. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.